Section 38 of Not That It Matters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Not That It Matters by A. A. Milne. On Going Dry. There are fortunate mortals who can always comfort themselves with a cliché. If any question arises as to the moral value of racing, whether in wartime or in peacetime, they will murmur something about improving the breed of horses, and sleep afterwards with an easy conscience. To one who considers how many millions of people are engaged upon this important work, it is surprising that nothing more notable in the way of a super-horse has as yet emerged. One would have expected at least by this time something which combined the flying powers of the huck with the diving powers of the seal. No doubt this is what the followers of the Colonel's late wire are aiming at, and even if they have to borrow ten shillings from the till in the good cause, they will feel that possibly by means of that very ten shillings nature has approximated a little more closely to the desired animal. Supporters of hunting again will tell you, speaking from inside knowledge, that the fox likes it and one is left breathless at the thought of the altruism of the human race, which will devote so much time and money to amusing a small, bushy-tailed, four-legged friend who might otherwise be bored. And the third member of the Triple Alliance, which has made England what it is, is beer, and in support of beer there is also a cliché ready. Talk to anybody about intemperance, and he will tell you solemnly, as if this disposed of the trouble, that one can just as easily be intemperate in other matters as in the matter of alcohol, after which it seems almost a duty to a broad-minded man to go out and get drunk. It is, of course, true that we can be intemperate in eating as well as in drinking, but the results of the intemperance would appear to be different. After a fifth helping of rice-pudding, one does not become over-familiar with strangers, nor does an extra slice of ham inspire a man to beat his wife. After five pints of beer, or fifteen or fifty, a man will go anywhere in reason, but he won't go home. After five helpings of rice-pudding, I imagine, home would seem to him the one desired haven. The two intemperances may be equally blameworthy but they are not equally offensive to the community. Yet for some reason overeating is considered the mark of the beast, and overdrinking the mark of a rather fine fellow. The poets and other gentlemen who have written so much romantic nonsense about good red wine and good brown ale are responsible for this. I admit that a glass of burgundy is a more beautiful thing than a blancmange but I do not think that it follows that a surfeit of one is more heroic than a surfeit of the other. There may be a divinity in the grape which excuses excess, but if so, uh, one would expect it to be there even before the grape had been trodden on by somebody else. Yet no poet ever hemmed the man who tucked into the dessert, and told him that he was by way of becoming a jolly good fellow. He is only by way of becoming a pig. It is the true, the blushful Hippo Sereni. To tell oneself this is to pardon everything. However unpleasant a drunken man may seem at first sight, as soon as one realizes that he has merely been putting away a blushful Hippo Sereni, one ceases to be angry with him. If Keats or somebody had said of a piece of underdone mutton, 
It is the true, the blushful Canterbury. Indigestion would carry a more romantic air, and at the third helping one could claim to be a bit of a devil. The beaded bubbles winking at the brim, this might also have been sung of a tapioca pudding, in which case a couple of tapioca puddings would certainly qualify the recipient as one of the boys. If only the poets had praised overeating rather than overdrinking, how much pleasanter the streets would be on festival nights. I suppose that I have already said enough to have written myself down a temperance fanatic, a thin-blooded cocoa-drinker, and a number of other things equally contemptible, which is all very embarrassing to a man who is composing at the moment on port, and who gets entangled in the skin of cocoa whenever he tries to approach it. But if anything could make me take kindly to cocoa, it would be the sentimental rubbish which is written about the manliness of drinking alcohol. It is no more manly to drink beer, not even if you call it good brown ale, than it is to drink beef tea. It may be more healthy, I know nothing about that, nor from the diversity of opinion expressed do the doctors. It may be cheaper, more thirst-quenching, anything you like, but it is a thing the village idiot can do, and often does, without becoming thereby the spiritual comrade of Robin Hood, King Harry V, Drake, and all the other heroes who, if we are to believe the swill school, have made old England great on beer. But to doubt the spiritual virtues of alcohol is not to be a prohibitionist. For my own sake I want neither England nor America dry. Whether I want them dry for the sake of England and America I cannot quite decide, but if I ever do come to a decision it will not be influenced by that other cliché which is often trotted out complacently, as if it were something to thank heaven for. You can't make people moral by act of Parliament. It is not a question of making them moral, but of keeping them from alcohol. It may be a pity to do this, but it is obviously possible, just as it is possible to keep them, that is to say the overwhelming majority of them, from opium. Nor shall I be influenced by the argument that such prohibition is outside the authority of a government. For if a government can demand a man's life for reasons of foreign policy, it can surely demand his whiskey for reasons of domestic policy. If it can call upon him to start fighting, it can call upon him to stop drinking. But if opium and alcohol is prohibited, you say, why not tobacco? When tobacco was mentioned I feel like the village socialist, who was quite ready to share two theoretical cows with his neighbor, but when asked if the theory applied also to pigs, answered indignantly, What are you talking about? I've got two pigs. I could bear an England which went dry, but an England which went out, so before assenting to the right of government to rob the working man of his beer, I have to ask myself if I assent to its right to rob me of my pipe. Well, if it were agreed by a majority of the community, in spite of all my hymns to nicotine, that England would be happier without tobacco, then I think I should agree also. But I might feel that I should be happier without England, just a little way without. The Isle of Man, say. End of Ongoing Dry Recording by Phil Chenevere, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, July 2012